Well, I think I mentioned this to you before on a Sunday morning and Wednesday night and Sunday night. I read a book called Imagine Heaven. It's written by a pastor named John Burke. He's a pastor in Texas. And in this book, he uh, reports all these accounts folks have had of what they'd call out-of-body or near-death experiences. That is, that they stopped breathing, heart stopped beating, you know, mind stopped functioning. They were pronounced dead. And they, uh, they had this experience when they saw the Lord in heaven. And uh, this book has got me to thinking about heaven. And uh, in fact, as, as I begin uh, the message this morning, I want to read something to you. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a resolution from the messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention back in 2014 um, when they met in Baltimore, Maryland, um, in light of books like this that have come out, movies like this that have come out. And I'm just going to read this to you, and then we'll, we'll launch into the biblical text from there. The resolution was on the sufficiency of Scripture regarding the afterlife. Whereas there have been numerous books and movies purporting to explain or describe the afterlife experience, and whereas these books and movies have had a considerable impact as seen in the bestseller lists and high box office receipts, and whereas many of these books and movies have sought to describe heaven from a subjective experiential source, mainly via personal testimonies that cannot be corroborated, and whereas many of these are not unified and contain details that are antithetical to Scripture, and whereas many devout and well-meaning people allow these to become their source and basis for an understanding of the afterlife rather than scriptural truth, and whereas though the Scriptures include explicit accounts of persons raised from the dead, such as Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son and Lazarus, in God's perfect revelatory wisdom, he has not given us any report of their individual experience in the afterlife. And whereas the Apostle Paul wrote about a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven, who heard inexpressible words that a man is not allowed to speak, and whereas the doctrines of the afterlife are critical to a full understanding of salvation and repentance, now therefore be it resolved that the messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention, meeting in Baltimore, Maryland on June the 10th and 11th of 2014, reaffirm the sufficiency of biblical revelation over subjective experiential explanations to guide one's understanding of the truth about heaven and hell. Pretty good resolution, isn't it? I think so. After all, we believe as biblical Christ followers that heaven is real, right? Heaven is not for real because a little boy says it is. It's real because God says it is in his word. So anything that we would like to understand about heaven, we must come to understand from the Lord himself, now, hear this and understand. People may have had some really neat experiences. They may have died and gone to heaven and come back. They might have encountered Jesus. I don't know. You don't know either because none of us went with them. But what we do know about heaven, we find in the biblical text. And honestly, 
when you read what the Bible has to say about heaven, at least when I read what the Bible has to say about heaven, I come away asking more questions than finding answers to questions I had before. Why is that? Because heaven is something otherworldly. It's the place where God chooses to dwell in his fullness with all of his redeemed throughout all of the ages. It's a place where there is no sin. It's a place where there is life. It's a place where there is no death. It's a place where there is light, where there is no darkness. It's a place that is full of the love and justice, the absolute holiness of God. And there is simply no way that a human being could grasp or understand heaven, this side of heaven. In fact, I had an episode at the house a few weeks ago. I was sitting in the bedroom reading a book on the bed. It was on a Saturday. And the kids were in the, dining, or in, in the kitchen at the table with Steph. And I heard one of the kids ask Stephanie a question. What is heaven like? And man, I thought, you know what? I know heaven is good. I know I'm going there. And I know I'm a preacher and should be able to answer that question. But I'm glad I'm in here and she's out there. Why? Because if someone came up to you and said, what is heaven? Or what is heaven like? You would probably as a Christian say, well, I know I'm going there. I know it's good but I don't know if I could explain it. In fact, some of us have some weird ideas about heaven in our own minds. Some of us would even admit these things. Some of us wouldn't like to talk about the pictures we have of heaven. Some of these pictures you've gotten from pastors who have stood behind pulpits like this throughout the years, and you think that heaven is going to be like a church service from the 1950s where all the men are dressed in suits and ties and the women have nice dresses on with hats on top of their heads and you're going to pull out your Baptist hymnals and just sing songs forever and ever and ever. And maybe Billy Graham will get up there to preach, right? This is the idea that some people have in their minds of heaven. But folks, Billy Graham, the famous evangelist who believed in Christ, he's died and gone to heaven. And I don't think that there is a day that he's spent in heaven that he goes, you know what? I wish I could go back to one of those crusades and have a worship service just like that. Heaven is far beyond anything we've ever experienced on this earth. Heaven, people have also talked about before, that uh, maybe they'll get there and everything will be, be perfect. They'll have everything they ever wanted and everything they ever needed. You know, their three pet dogs that died throughout their lives will run up to them and lick their toes and they'll just be so happy because their pets are there. Or, you know, you, you love to play baseball all of your life. And kind of like my dad now who's getting older and he can't play catch anymore. Maybe kind of like Field of Dreams, you know, when Kevin Costner goes out on the field and meets his dad and they just have this moment of catch together. People have some weird ideas in their minds about heaven, don't they? And some of us have these weird ideas or these bizarre ideas because heaven is a good place, a place of life and joy and peace, a place where we enjoy God's blessings for eternity. And some of the times when we've tasted God's blessings 
and his benefits and his grace in our lives the most are the things that we could most relate to a heavenly experience. Does that make sense? That's why people want to go back to a childlike state. Before their minds were open to all the evil that there is in the world and in their own hearts. That's why people like to think about playing catch with their dad. That's why people like to think about having their dogs who have died because they got hit by a car running up to them without death being present. I'm not here to tell you that all dogs go to heaven or that you're going to play catch with your dad or that all dogs aren't going to go to heaven or that there's not going to be baseball in heaven. Here's what I'm here to tell you. What the Bible shares with us about the afterlife. Fair enough? So if you would go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 6. This is a passage of scripture that was actually referred to in the resolution that the messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention made in 2014. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 6. And before I read these verses, just allow me to set up the background and context for you. And uh, as, as Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, he's writing to a group of people who have been deceived and duped by false apostles. These apostles have come in saying, we've had heavenly visions, God has given us special revelation, and so here's who Jesus really was, here's what the Christian life really is, and you guys need to listen to us and disregard those guys like Paul, and Apollos, and Peter. They don't really have the full story. We do. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul began to defend his apostleship. That is, he was trying to tell these believers, look, I really am who I say I am, and the message I'm delivering you is the truth. And so he begins in chapter 11 by saying, I know it's not right for a man to boast, and I'm only boasting so that you can understand that I am an authentic apostle of Jesus Christ. So he tells them, don't be led astray by all of these others. He reminds them of who he is and how he came to them. That he himself, he considers inferior to the eminent apostles. After all, he talks about how he himself didn't become an, a, fo a follower of Jesus Christ until after Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven. That he encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He didn't walk with him for his three years of public ministry like the other apostles did. He goes on to talk to them about how he didn't come to them expecting to be paid when he taught them and when he preached to them. Rather, he came delivering the message, working to provide for himself so as not to be a burden to them. That is, he's defending the truth. I didn't come to you and give you a special message if you gave me enough money. I just came to share the truth with you regardless of whether or not you gave me anything. He talked about the work that he did in spreading the good news of Jesus. He talked more about these false apostles being deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, just like Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. But these apostles would be known by their deeds. And so then Paul begins to talk about his deeds. Again, he's not saying I'm boasting about all these great and wonderful things I've done to make myself look better. I'm boasting about these things so that you trust me and so you believe the truth of the message that I'm presenting. He talks to them about everything that he's gone through, about his past history before he knew Christ 
as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. And then he goes to talk about his work in Christ. He talks about how all the labors that he went through, the imprisonments, the beatings, often in danger of death. Five times from the Jews he received 39 lashes, that is being whipped. He was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked, and a night and a day he was spent out adrift at sea. He was on frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, robbers, countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the seas, among the false brethren. And he talks about all this labor and hardship, and he says, Do you not believe that I'm giving my life to give you life through Jesus? In other words, listen to the message I'm sharing with you. And it's in the midst of this defense... And of this foolish boasting, as he calls it, that he shares with them these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, Or out of the body, I I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast But on my own behalf, I I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. God, would you give us understanding of your word this morning? Would you help us to get a glimpse of heaven as we study your word? in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Paul, in these these six verses of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, is really referring to himself. The vast majority of scholars believe that he's talking about himself in the third person. In fact, other of these experiences, out of body or afterlife or near-death experiences, whatever you'd like to call them, during the same time period people would often relate their experiences in writing in anonymity because they did not want to be considered insane by their friends around them. So sometimes they would also write these accounts like they were writing them in the third person. Paul does this. In fact, it fits with what he's been doing in chapter 11, defending his apostleship and talking about experiences that he's had. Here's what's so frustrating about this. Paul got to see it. But he didn't really get to talk much about it, at least here in these six verses. We know that Paul wrote about heaven elsewhere. We know he talked about the great day that awaits all of the saints. We know that he talked about the resurrection. We know he talked about the life. We know he talked about eternity. We know that he talked about setting your minds above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We don't know how much he saw, we don't know what all he saw, but in these six verses we're able to pick up a few clues 
of things that he did see and what heaven is like in this sense. Heaven is a real paradise where God awaits those who believe in Christ. Now listen to that. Write it down if you want to. Heaven is a real paradise where God awaits those who believe in Christ. So yeah, Jake, I already know that. But do you really? So I want to unpack this definition of heaven from these six verses. Heaven. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Everybody see that there? Third heaven? This is kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, here's what the Jews believed about heaven. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you know that famous verse you guys memorized growing up? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The Jews understood heaven in layers, dimensions. The first, you can go outside and see right now in the daylight. You see the clouds. You see the birds in the air. This is the atmospheric heaven, the blue sky. Do you guys see that? You get that, right? The second heaven would be what you see at night. You see the stars. You see the moon in the sky. What we know as space, outer space. But the third heaven, Jewish people understood as the place where God dwells. The spiritual realm. This dimension where God lives. This is heaven. The heaven that Paul is talking about. Being caught up to the third heaven. That is a different place than can be seen with the eyes during daytime. A different place than can be observed with the eyes during the nighttime. This heaven was something altogether different. He is claiming to have been caught up to the place where God dwells. Heaven. Heaven is a real place. It's a real place. Now you would think if there's something real, there'd be something tangible by which to define its reality, wouldn't you? And so here's what I've thought. If heaven is a real place, there must be some things that are true. There must be some things that are factual. There, there must be some evidence that heaven actually exists. And so I, I thought about this. If I was going to, to try to tell you that a place exists, that somewhere is real, and I wanted to prove it to you, what would I do? I'd give you directions to get there, right? In other words, if, if I wanted to tell you, hey, there really is this great barbecue place in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. I know it's northeast Arkansas, but it's called Polar Freeze. You got to go there. And when you get your barbecue, you got to get fried pickles and soft serve ice cream. It's the only way it works. And if someone's like, nah, Jake, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I've, I've been to Jonesboro before. I've driven past Jonesboro a little ways. There's a really good barbecue place called Polar Freeze. Yeah, yeah. What would I do? I'd give you the address, let you punch it in your GPS so you could go there, right? We'd get there and Polar freeze exists. Then you try their barbecue and think, ah, I've died and gone to heaven. All right, here's what happens. In uh, 
In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about directions to heaven. Notice what he says. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Such a man was caught up or snatched away or snatched up to the third heaven. In fact, it's interesting throughout Scripture. Everywhere you see heaven talked about and you see people going to heaven or coming from heaven, heaven is always up. It's always north. I thought about it like this. You remember sailors going on the sea before all these tools and instruments were invented so that they could navigate their way through the ocean? And you probably heard all them talk about the North Star. Why? Because no matter where you were, it's a fixed point in the sky, right? Heaven is much the same way. It is a fixed place where God is. It's real. Now, I don't want you to get this idea that if we're somehow able to build this spaceship and launch up into the atmosphere and then go into outer space, that we're eventually going to get to heaven. This up, this north, this moving in an incline doesn't necessarily mean physical directions, but it does mean spiritual direction. In fact, there's these type of analogies and illustrations used all throughout Scripture. What's the color of sin, black or white? Black. What's, what's truth? Does truth occur in the darkness or in the light? The light. What about hell? Hell up or down? Down. And it's not to say that if we dug a hole and tried to get to China, we'd meet hell in the middle, right? In the middle of the earth. But these type of analogies help us understand a little bit more about eternity, about heaven, even about hell. Hell is a real place. That is, Paul could get there. He went up to the third heaven. When Jesus ascended back to his Father, he went up into the clouds. In John chapter 3, when John the Baptist is talking about the Son of Man, he came from heaven. How did he come? Down from heaven. Heaven is a real place. It's a higher spiritual plane. A higher spiritual realm. We don't exactly know the precise directions because we can't punch it in our GPS. But we do know that a person can get there. Jesus got there. In fact, Jesus came from heaven. Think about that. Jesus came down from heaven, lived on earth, died on the cross, rose again from the grave, and went up into heaven. It's real. You can get there. Jesus proved it. Even Paul in his experience here proves it to some degree. It wasn't exactly like Jesus because Paul says, I don't know if this was in the body, out of the body. We know that Jesus went in bodily form, his spirit was alive and his body had also been resurrected. He went up into heaven. Paul says, I'm not exactly sure how to explain what I experienced, but what I do know is I was caught up to the third heaven. That is, it's a real place. But heaven isn't just a real place. Once you get there, you, you see the greatness, the glory, the grandeur of it all. Heaven is a real paradise. Look at verse 4. 
Paul doesn't just say I was caught up to the third heaven. He also says I was caught up into paradise. Paradise is a Persian loan word used to describe a lush, plentiful, flowering, abundant garden. A place where there is growth and life. A place that is lush and plentiful with fruit. When Paul says that he was caught up into paradise, he's using the best word that he can to describe the greatest sight he had ever seen. Heaven is a real paradise. You think about paradise and what we use to refer to as paradise here and now on this earth. I've heard people going to stay at exotic locations out on an island in the seas where there's a beach and crystal clear water as paradise, right? For, uh, for some of you, maybe like me, there's a place in St. Louis, Missouri called Bush Stadium. And especially when they're in the World Series and, and they win, it's a place called paradise, right? But paradise in this sense is something greater than all of these other things we could explain with that word and have explained with that word in our own time on this earth. Paul is simply saying this is the best thing I have ever witnessed before. He was caught up into paradise. In fact, while he was there, verse 4 says, he heard inexpressible words, which a man is not even permitted to speak. Inexpressible words. Now think about this. How can you hear an inexpressible word? Is that not amazing and bizarre to think about? That is, he heard things, but it's things that were inexpressible. It's almost like he went and witnessed, but when he came back, even if he wanted to try to explain it, he couldn't because it was so great and marvelous and glorious. This was paradise. He says he heard inexpressible words, and then he goes on to say, which a man is not permitted to speak. Perhaps it was that God did not allow Paul the apostle, this such a man in Christ, to write or to share about his experiences that he had had. Perhaps it's really that no one should be talking about these experiences that they've had. But the fact that Paul didn't talk about the experience did not negate the fact that he had it, right? I thought about it like this. This was the best thing I, I could think of. I've had this happen now four, four times in my life. But I go back to the very first time. It was uh, March, March the 16th. I got a phone call. From my mom said, Jake, you need, to, you need to get over here. Okay, I'm coming. So I loaded up a couple of bags and I headed towards Jonesboro. And, and when I got there, Stephanie's laying in the hospital bed. And she's just got this glow on her face. She's a little scared because there were some problems at this point in the pregnancy. But we were going to have a baby and we knew it. 
C-section was just around the corner. They had scheduled the surgery for the next available operating room. And so Stephanie and I prayed together. The doctor was in there. And, uh, and they took Stephanie back. And they made me put on this gown and these little booties on my feet, you know. And I'm sitting there in the waiting room. Pins and needles. And I'm scared, but I can't help but just smile. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, one of the nurses came around and said, uh, Mr. Ginrich, we're ready for you. Okay. And I, I kind of just, I stood up, but I stood there a minute. What did I have to do? I had to go around and actually go in the, the room. And I got in the room, it, it, don't touch anything, you know, look this direction. We don't want, to see, want you to see your wife's gut splattered all over the table. So I, I come around, I sit down in the chair, and I'm, I'm talking with Stephanie. It was kind of cool, it was like Spider-Man talking to his girlfriend, because, you know, she was upside down, we were sitting there talking with each other, and, and I said, uh, you know, you, you doing okay? Yeah, yeah, so we, we were talking about stuff, and, and all of a sudden we heard this, and little Mally Grace had come into the world, and I've tried my best to talk to Mally about what I felt when she was born that day. I've tried in my own mind to, to kind of think back through that process and what all was taking place, but really I just, I can't. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe it was the day you, you got married. Maybe there's a, another day that holds significance and just great emotional weight in your heart and in your, your mind. This is what Paul's trying to get across. I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. A man's not even permitted to speak what I saw. It is so great and so wonderful that to try to describe it with words would ruin the experience. Heaven is a real paradise where God is. And this is perhaps what is so great about heaven. In fact, twice here in verses 2 and 3, Paul says, whether in the body I don't know or out of the body I don't know, God knows. Whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. But God knows. Why? Because Paul realized beyond any shadow of a doubt that God knew it all. Knew every single thing that had transpired in heaven and on earth. It's the place where God is. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples to pray in this way. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. God present in a real and personal way. Dwelling with his believers. Think about what the Israelites, what the Hebrews experienced in the Old Testament when they built the tabernacle and all of a sudden the, the glory of God fell down over the holy of holies and they saw a visible manifestation of God's presence within the heart and center of the camp. Now imagine not just a pillar of fire or smoke but God, in a personal sense, seated upon his throne, dwelling in the middle of his holy city with all who have believed in him gathered around him, living with him there. 
This is heaven. Heaven is a real paradise where God is. But it's a place where God awaits those who believe in Christ. Heaven is in existence now. And it will be in existence in the future. Heaven is the eternal abode of the Lord and of all those who believe in Him. In fact, it's in another one of, place, another one of the places where Paul writes over in the book of Galatians where he says that to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Now think about this. To live is, is Christ. That is, Paul was giving his life Everything he did and everything he said, he wanted to do it for Christ and in Christ. But then he goes on to say this, to die is gain. Paul said, I'm living in God's will right now, right here on this earth, doing what he wants me to do. But guys, there's something so much better. To die is gain. You've heard this expression before. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Paul said, look, I don't care if I got to die. I'll die because that's game. Going to heaven. It's a place where God awaits those who believe in Christ. I have no doubt that the Lord is awaiting us in heaven. All those who have believed in his name, who have been saved from our sins. Think about this in this way, right? Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth to save us from our sins. Heaven is the place where we go to Him because we've been saved from our sins and we're saved to glory. He awaits us when we get there. We are personally present with Christ. I saw on a church sign in town a few weeks ago just a, a little saying that uh, uh, Jesus is the map and heaven is the treasure. I thought that was pretty good, but I think there's something even better than that. Jesus may be the map, but Jesus himself is the treasure. You think about this. You get to go to heaven and you get to see the one who died for your sins and the one who rose again. You remember Doubting Thomas, the one who said, man, lest, lest I see those nail prints in his hands, in his feet. Lest I stick my hand in his side where they thrust him through with the spear after he died on the cross. I, I don't know if I can believe. We believe that Jesus died. One day we'll see it. Our faith will become sight. It's kind of like what Bart Millard wrote about in Mercy Me's song, I Can Only Imagine, when he said... Uh, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. Could you, could you just imagine what it would be like to walk step by step, hand in hand with Jesus? Will I stand in your presence to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be even able to speak at all? He said, I could only imagine what it would be like. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Heaven is God created and God made. As such, it is all that the mind of God can imagine 
and all that the power of God can create. Think about the sights of this world and how beautiful God's creation is. Anybody ever been in the Grand Canyon before and looked out across that vastness and seen how beautiful it is? Anybody ever been in the ocean before and got to take a look at that crystal clear water that God has made as it rolls up onto those white sand beaches? Any of you ever, despite the mosquitoes, have any of you ever been driving down the road back home from Jonesboro during one of those summer afternoons and the sun's going down over those rice fields and it's just lush and green as far as the eye can see up till the tree line and you see about three million different colors in the sky and the clouds as the sun starts to set? Think about the greatness and the goodness of what we see here on this earth. And then think about heaven. All that the mind of God can imagine and all that the power of God can create. A glorious place. Heaven is a real paradise where God awaits those who believe in Christ. And this is the key. Paul didn't just say, I know a man who died. He said in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, people think maybe this happened after his stoning in Acts chapter 14, that Paul perhaps had died and had an out-of-body or afterlife or near-death experience, whatever you want to call it. But what Paul did know beyond a shadow of a doubt with anything that had taken place, was that he was in Christ. And here's what I want to come back to for us as believers. Heaven awaits those who believe in Christ, who are already in Christ Jesus. That is this. Heaven is a real place where real people go to spend real time and eternity with God. But not everyone will go to heaven. Not everyone who dies, who has died, is in heaven. Heaven is for those who have believed in Christ, who have been found in Christ. And that's not to say that it's an exclusive club that God wants to kick people out of. Or that Paul wanted to ensure that he only let the people that he liked in. Or that we as First Baptist Church Walnut Ridge get to say, well, we like them so they can go to heaven with us for eternity, but they can't. That's not it at all. The exclusivity of heaven has not been set by Paul. It's not been set by Jake. It's not been set by a church. It's been set by Jesus Christ himself. Those who are in Christ get to experience this joy and this reality. And reality is this. Only Christ can satisfy and Christ will indeed satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy and Christ will indeed satisfy. C.S. Lewis also wrote this. He said, if I find within myself a longing which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only conclusion is that I was made for another world. You were made to spend eternity with Christ. You were fashioned in His image. 
You were purchased by His blood. You have been redeemed for His glory. And He is shaping and molding and making you as a believer to conform to His image, to be transformed, to be a new creature in Christ. Paul would write elsewhere that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new has come. So here's my question for you in closing this morning. If heaven is a real paradise where God awaits those who have believed in Christ, are you going to heaven? That may be blunt, that may be simple. But look, if there really is a place, a paradise where we get to be with the Lord forever when we die, the most important question that you or I could ever answer is, am I in Christ? Has He forgiven me of my sins? Am I going to spend eternity with Him? And if the answer to that question is not yes, it can be yes. You see, because this is ultimate reality Jesus didn't stay in heaven saying if you can be good enough you can get here Jesus left heaven saying I know none of you can be good enough to get here so let me pave the way and let me make the way for you Jesus told his disciples just before he was going to leave earth I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father the father in heaven except through me. If you're in Christ, heaven awaits you. If you're not yet in Christ, you can be today. All you've got to do is come to the point where you admit that you are guilty of sin against a holy God. Ask Him for forgiveness of your sins by believing that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. Believe that Jesus rose again from the grave and give your life to Him as Lord. You will be in Christ. And as a new creature, you will one day get to experience the fullness of that new creation in heaven with Him. I read that book, Imagine Heaven. I thought about that title. I've heard that song many times by Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. You guys heard that one before too. But the truth is, when we stop and we really think about heaven, we cannot even imagine the glory that awaits in the presence of God. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? As this song of invitation is played, I just ask you to respond to the Lord however He's spoken to you this morning. Maybe you're here today, and perhaps this sermon has been an encouragement and a comfort to you, because there's somebody that you know and love who's in heaven with the Lord right now. And maybe you just need to let that wave of comfort and grace wash over your soul. Knowing that if you believed in Jesus, you'll get to experience that same joy with Him in eternity as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You're not in Christ. 
You know that if you were to die today, you would not spend eternity in heaven with the Lord because you don't know the Lord. Maybe here and now during this song this morning, you just need to come up here and say, Jake, I want to go to heaven. Jake, I know that the only way to do that is by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Jake, I, I need you to help me do that. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. This altar is open if you need to come and kneel in prayer. As God calls you this morning, would you come to Him?